morning. Um, We're reading from God's Word, and we're going to be reading from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And if you're going from the Church Bible, it's page 1172. And the heading is Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from uh, yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, maybe turn to the person next to you and here's a question for you. What's been the biggest change that has happened in your life? What's been the biggest change that has happened in your life? If you know the person really well, it might be a boring conversation, but if it's someone new, it might be really exciting. What's been the biggest change that has happened in your life? It'll be on the screen. Go on, you have two minutes. Uh, I wonder what you said. Maybe uh, you can carry on that conversation after the service if it was really interesting. If it's not picked up, obviously it wasn't that interesting a change. Uh, I wonder what you said. Uh, here are three big changes that may have happened in your life. First one might only be relevant if you're a Manchester United fan. Uh, here he is on the screen. Ma- Manchester United, when Sir Alex Ferguson retired, that was a big change. Man United fans went from annually competing for trophies to annually competing to stay relevant. It's tough, tough. Ooh. Neil is livid. Uh, Okay, second one. Uh, someone new joins your family. So there's been an adoption, uh, a baby born, uh, a marriage. Someone new joins your family. All of a sudden, relationships change. Everything is different. There's a second big change. Someone joins your family. Third one, you move somewhere new. So that could be moving to a new school. It could be a new job. It could be a new country, a new home. That's another big change, isn't it? Everything is new. New names, new faces, new places, new everything, new accents to get used to. This morning, we're thinking about the change that has happened to Alan and Summer. They have become Christians. Something has changed in their lives. You've heard it in their testimonies, didn't you? And that is a change. You're not a Christian just because you come to church or because your parents are. It's something that personally happens in your life. You change. So this morning, I'm just going to explain to you what has changed for these young people. And perhaps for some of us, uh, how that change can happen in your life. And we're going to do that by briefly exploring the passage that Yvonne read to us there. And as we uh, explore that passage, we're going to ask uh, four watts. Four watts. There's a four watt uh, light bulb. So we're going to go through it. Four watts uh, to help us remember. First watt. What has changed for Summer and Alad? If you have the Bible open in front of you, it'll be really helpful. But if you look down at verse one, you'll see... The diagnosis the Bible gives us, Summer and Alid were once dead. 
Summer and Alad were once dead. That's what's changed. They were dead and now they're alive. And that sounds a bit strange to some of you, well, to all of you, I'm sure, because some of you have known uh, Summer and Alad their whole lives, and you'll be able to say, there's never been a moment when these two have been dead. Maybe a, a helpful way to describe them then is they were like zombies. They were like the walking dead. This is, this is the least scary zombie I could find to put on the screen. So, so they were alive. They were walking around, but they were spiritually dead. Again, sounds confusing if you haven't been to church before, uh, but perhaps this will help you think about it. You, you might have heard it on the TV or in school. Uh, you might have heard this conversation go on where one person says to the other person, I hope it's never been said to you, you are dead to me. You are dead to me. Awful, right? But if you were listening into that conversation, you would assume that something has happened between those two people. Someone has caused an offense that has fatally wounded that relationship. Someone, to use the words of the passage, has sinned or transgressed in that relationship. So let's take that logic from that situation and apply it to this right now. If Summer and Alid were once dead, spiritually dead, it means that they have thought or done something that has damaged, fatally damaged their relationship with God. They were dead. But eagle-eyed readers will notice. It says you, 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 and then it broadens out to say we, us, everyone, all human beings are spiritually dead. Dire diagnosis, right? But let's bear in mind the context. Paul is writing to a group of Christians, a church filled with two types of people, Jews and Gentiles, aka the religious people and the rebellious people. And Paul says that they were both in the same condition, same diagnosis, people who have grown up going to church their whole life, doing religious activities their whole life, and those who never darkened the door of a church. He says that both are spiritually dead. Both have committed sins and transgressions. These two words, uh, words you probably will only hear in a church, it's the idea of failing to pass a test, the idea of crossing a line which not, ought not to be crossed. Both the religious person who's grown up in church their whole life and the rebel, the rule keepers and the rule breakers have fatally damaged their relationship with God. Now, that idea of a rebel is obvious, isn't it? We've had some friends staying with us the past few days and they have a wee toddler and you tell her, you give her a, a boundary, something that she can't do and immediately she smiles and goes and does it, breaks it immediately. The cutest little rebel you'll ever see, but she does it, we all do it, don't we? We see a boundary and we immediately want to break it. The rebel wants to do things to please themselves. They do bad things to please themselves. The religious person, though, who's spiritually dead, is much more subtle, much more sneaky and harder to spot. The religious person, before this change happens, they sin because they seek to do good things in order to achieve what they want. So they obey God, keep his laws, not because they love him, but they're using him as a means to an end. They do good things in order to get what they want. Again, quite a confusing concept. So let me illustrate this. As I was a teenager, I knew what pleased my parents. So obvious things, right? Not spending too much time on the PlayStation. Uh, 
seeing me revising, so just the illusion of revision, seeing me do homework, uh, helping clean up after dinner, tidying my room. I knew that if I did those things, they would be pleased. But then whenever I wanted something from them and they said no, I would get out my laundry list and say, but I've done this. I've revised, I've cleaned my room, I've done all these things. I've done my duty. Give me what I want. And that's, all, that's the sin of people who have grown up in church their whole life. They say, God, I've been doing all these good things, so you should give me what I want. Health, family, whatever it may be. That is the sin of the religious person. They build up this ammo to use against God and try to twist his arm behind his back. The religious people do that to God. Keep up your end of the bargain, God. Both are spiritually dead and in a terrifying position. You see it in verse 3, don't you? Both deserving of God's wrath. The goody two-shoes and the rebel, both in a dangerous position. And that's what Alan Summer once were, dead and under God's wrath. That's the position of all people who do not know Jesus, we believe. But thankfully, a miraculous change can happen. A cure is available for these zombies. God can change us. That's the second what. What has changed them? <laughs> if you haven't been to church in a long time, you're probably sitting there thinking, this is everything I expect to hear in a church. You're really, really bad. God's really, really mad, and you should be really, really sad, you disgrace. That's probably what you're expecting to hear, but you've got to pay attention to verse 4. There's a critical, critical word there, the word but. We're really, really bad. God is mad, but there's a but, and that changes everything. Now, of course, we're programmed in our world, aren't we, to think that everything before a but doesn't matter. So, you've interviewed really well but you didn't get the job. Who cares if I interviewed well if I didn't get the job? You are really, really nice, but I just want to be friends. Oh, friend zone, heartbreak. Oh, but in the Bible, however, everything that comes before the but is so important. It's so important for without the bad news, for without the dire diagnosis, we can have the truly incredible good news. Look at verse four with me. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, that is what has changed Ald and Summer's lives. God's love and his mercy have changed them. Notice the words here, God's great love. That word great is really important. We love the idea of love, don't we? Unconditional love towards someone. But the word great is really important. If you were talking to a friend today and you said, I had lunch at Dave's house, that would tell them you had lunch at my house. Obvious, right? But if you said, I had a great lunch at Dave's house, th that would tell you something about the quality of the lunch, perhaps your enjoyment of it. Whenever you said that God has great love, it really matters. For if you talked about a great ocean, you're talking about a vast, a big ocean, not the wee ones like the Irish Sea, a vast, vast thing. When we talk about God's love, it is great great towards those who are spiritually dead. His love can really change your life. He's also rich in mercy. You'll notice in verse 4, mercy, this idea of getting what you do not deserve. If God had a mercy bank account, if he opened his, his app and he saw his bank account, which was titled mercy, it would just be infinity. 
God is minted in mercy. He'll never open his wallet and say, I'm fresh out of mercy for spiritually dead people. How has this love and merciful God changed Alan and Summer's life? Because they've experienced it. They've heard the good news of the Lord Jesus, that despite all the ways that they've sinned, despite their spiritual deadness, there's hope, there's a cure in the Lord Jesus. God himself, who comes to this infected planet to offer us the cure, living a perfect life. Just think about that, living a perfect life, never doing anything wrong. Okay, that seems really hard, doesn't it? But also always doing what is right. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? The Lord Jesus did that perfectly on this sin-infested world with annoying people like me around. He lived it perfectly. And despite living that extraordinary life, rather than being rewarded for it, as we all expect, he was punished. He died. And we read, whenever we read the account of Jesus' life, we read that the reason he did that was for you and for me, because he is merciful and loving. When you look at these eyewitness accounts, you're always struck by Jesus' love and mercy for the least likely people. The Bible tells us when Jesus died, he died in our place. Make it personal. He died in my place, in Allah's place, in Summer's place, in Dave's place. In his love and mercy, God comes in the Lord Jesus to provide a cure, to offer us the cure, the great exchange. It should be on the screen behind me that our death is transferred over to Jesus and his life is transferred over to us. His perfect record given to us so that on that last day, whenever you stand before your maker and he asks you to give an account for your life, if you're in Jesus, you are safe from that wrath that is coming. Summer and Alad have heard that message of Jesus' love and mercy as they've come to this church, as they've gone to camps in their families. They've listened to that message, that countercultural message. And then they've also seen the impact of that message in the lives of people. So they've heard it and then they've seen that message in action. And because Alan Summer have seen the impact of the gospel, they have been changed. Which brings us to our third what. What did Summer and Alan do? Well, remember what we said so far. Alad and Summer were dead. They were zombies. Zombies can't save themselves, can they? They need a cure from outside of themselves. And the Lord Jesus offers them and administers that cure. And they simply put their faith, their trust in him. They believe, read verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Summer and Alad have come to believe, to have faith in Jesus Christ. They have looked in to the Christian faith. They've listened from afar, they've listened from near, and they've explored it all, and they have come to believe that they really have done things wrong against other people, but most importantly against God. But they also have come to believe that there is a cure for those things that they have done wrong, that someone paid the price for what they've done wrong. Now, if you imagine with me, imagine if I committed a crime against you. Say I smashed up your car, those pesky Irish people. But imagine I smashed up your car. There, there are two options here. Either I pay for it, which is justice, or you pay for it, forgiveness and mercy. Summer and Alad believe that they deserve God's justice, but instead they've received his mercy, his grace. Jesus Christ has forgiven them once and for all, and his mercy 
has changed them. They put their faith in Jesus. It's the old illustration. This is what faith means. You're all sitting. You're all acting in faith right now. Sitting on the chair. You're either sitting on it, believing in it, or you're not. There's no half-hearted sitting, is there? You're either all in or you're not in at all. So can I urge you, if you have been examining the chair, per se, the Christian faith, put your weight on it. Nothing can stand against death aside from the Lord Jesus. Put your faith in it. You can trust him. There's nothing in this life that will hold up but the Lord Jesus when that great and final day comes. His love and his mercy is an offer like no other. It'll change your life, your past, present, and your future. You know, people sometimes say that the Christian message is turn or burn. I think there's better news. It's turn and live. Turn and live. For it is the best life, life like no other. Fourth what, as I finish. What? What? I will enunciate. What as we finish. What difference will this change make to their lives? Well, for one, faith in Jesus means something incredible. Death is not the end. If you look in verse 7, we see in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So for the Christian, every good gift that we enjoy in this life now is a starter. It's a starter for the main course of his kindness in heaven. Every good gift that you enjoy is just a foretaste. Something better is coming. One day you will see Jesus face to face and be with your Savior and King forever. That's the first change. Death is not the end. Secondly, they're going to keep being themselves, but they're going to have a whole new purpose for living. This is the last bit, I promise. This is the last bit. If you look down at verse 10, it will be on the screen as well. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Summer and Alad have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows everything about them. The things that they don't even like about themselves, he knows everything about them. He's given them incredible gifts and abilities. So they're going to keep being who God's made them to be. Alad's going to keep being the cadet who loves making pasta. Summer's going to be the singer who makes sushi. They're going to keep being great friends and family members. They're going to be who God created them to be. And they're going to do things for God who's shown them such kindness and such mercy. But everything that they do is going to be a simple act of thanksgiving for the God who gave so much and loved them so much to show them such incredible mercy and changing them. We are so excited to see what the Lord Jesus is going to do with these two young people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that we... Sinners like me, like Alad, like Summer, were dead and buried, lost without hope in this life, and you made us alive. Lord, we pray that anyone here who does not yet know, who's not yet put their weight on that chair, Lord, we pray that they would put their faith and their trust in you and experience life in all its fullness. Thank you for this brief time thinking about all your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.